As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. All right, good morning. Hey, let's have a little bit of fun as we get going here this morning. Who comes to mind when you think of like the greatest famous friendship? Like I'm talking hashtag friendship goals. Like, like I, I got to get a friend like them. Don't worry, I've come prepared for you this morning. Here, here's what I think maybe this, some of the top five, all right, or at least in the top five. First one is this. Take a look. Come on, Buzz and Woody. Right? Come on. You got to agree with me on that. I mean, those two, they had each other's backs. They, they, they were all for it. And then, I, I mean, I don't know if we should be promoting this one, but Harry and Lloyd had to make, make the list. Come on, put them up there. Where are they at? There they are. Now, it was a dysfunctional friendship for sure. But man, those dudes loved each other. Now, this is maybe for the, the, the 45, 50 plus crowd. So if you're under 30, you're going to be like, I, what are you talking about? The Golden Girls. They had to make the list, right? I mean, come on. They loved each other. Here's one for, for my generation. Joey and Chandler. Come on, literally from Friends. There it is. That's a true friendship right there. But, but, but this one, for, for all of us and for all time, you cannot deny Maverick and Goose. I mean, that's the one, right? I mean, who would not want these kinds of friendships? Except maybe Lloyd. I'm going to maybe cross him off the list. I don't really know if I want a friendship with him. But I'll say it like this. How do, how do we build healthy relationships? Or maybe another way to say it is, how, how do we find and build and invest in, in healthy, long-lasting, God-honoring friendships that are life-giving to them and life-giving to you. That's what we're talking about today. If you have a Bible, grab it. We're in Proverbs still. We're going to start in chapter 17. If you want to flip over there, grab your phone. I see some of you got your journals. And uh, we've been taking up the challenge this summer to read through all 31 chapters of Proverbs. If you've gotten a little behind, don't worry. Just jump back in and let's be committed to reading through the entire book of Proverbs this summer. Why? Well, because it's a book of wisdom. You can look at the Proverbs has really been this. It was like a library of wise statements for the Israelites. And they're still wise for us today. So we're going to jump around many different Proverbs today. This is what we're calling four marks of true friendship. Four marks of true friendship. Here's the first one. True friendship is marked by consistency in adversity. Now, it's a sad reality, but you've probably experienced it. Isn't it true that sometimes... You don't really know what you got in a friend until you go through a difficult time, right? When everything's up and to the right and everything's good and everybody's having a fun time, it's easy to be friends. Uh, but then what happens when the speed bump comes? What happens when the difficulty comes? What happens when the adversity comes? It, it reveals what kind of friend you really got. Proverbs 17, 17 says it like this. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So a friend is really marked by one thing. It says it right here. A friend does what? Say it out loud. A friend loves. That's what a friend does at all times. I know this to be true for Sarah and I for sure, is that we are who we are today based on the people that have been in our life. The friendships, some that are 15, going on 20 years of relationships that have come around us and supported us. And what did they do? Well, one, they, 
they know and understand who we are. The other thing that these friends do is that they support and encourage us at all times. But there's a third thing, and don't miss this, because I think we cross it off the list way too easily, is that they challenge and refine us in our character and our conduct. That they lovingly, and we welcome it, push back on how we think or how we behave. Why? Because they want to help us live our lives in a way that honors God. And so this love here, a friend loves at all times, this isn't so much a feeling, this isn't an emotion. This type of love is an action. It's something we do. It's how we behave. It's how we interact with people. And then we see that it's born, what, for the hardest time, this brother. Some people think this is two different people. Other translations say it like this, that this friend is like a brother, even maybe greater than a brother that was born for the time of adversity. As we're talking about true friends, the reality is this, right? That that might also mean there's a thing called false friends. That there might be some people in our life that they don't have our best interest in mind. And they might not be the best people for us to be rubbing shoulders with. And here's a few types of them. There's the flaky friend. That's a friend that you're just like, I don't know what I'm going to get with you when we get together. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know if you're going to show up. You're kind of just flaky. There's fake friends. You ever had one of those? It's like, man, I, I thought this, we had a good thing going here. And I thought, but it kind of seems like do you have some alternative motives here? Or is there another reason kind of why you're pressing into this relationship? And, and it turns out that was kind of a, a fake or manipulated relationship. How about a fair weather friend? We've all had those. We don't want to be one of those that were there when, man, everything's going great. And then all of a sudden difficulty comes and we're like, where'd everybody go? How, how about this one? We certainly don't want to be this. And we certainly don't want this in our life is the foolish friend. The truth with foolish friends is this, is that they're kind of fun to be around sometimes. Can we just be honest in church? Like these are the friends who are like, man, they're, they're, they're kind of a good hang every once in a while. But the truth is, if you really look at it, is that relationship edifying to my life? Is it edifying to my soul? No, because they might be thinking and behaving in a way that's it's just foolish. So true friends, they, they show up and they support in the time of adversity, in the time of difficulty. This might sound odd to you, but as a pastor, one of the most rewarding things I do is when somebody asks me to do a funeral for a loved one or a family member. And part of the reason that I find it rewarding is that it allows me to become quite introspective because what do people do at funerals? Well, they get up and they share about the person's life and they kind of revisit their life and it becomes really quick to see that it's either, man, there, there were some really significant things in their life. And then the flip side of that is sometimes there's some things that you're like, they thought it was significant, but that's kind of an insignificant part of your life. And so what does it do? It causes some introspection to go, man, what are people going to say about me at the end of my life? What are my friends? What are my family? I mean, how are they going to remember me? One of my closest friends, a few years ago, his mom got diagnosed with ALS, just a terrible disease. And so like it does, it ran its course and it, it took her life about a year ago. And so Sarah and I decide, okay, we're going we, we're gonna to go down to the funeral. And so we're going to fly down to, to Arkansas. And yes, I said Arkansas, by the way. I didn't say like San Diego or Miami. Like if you want to know a true friend, a true friend goes to Arkansas, okay? 
So I'm kidding, but so we, we, we fly down and what we began to witness was actually something extraordinary. Her name was, was Barbara and we went to the funeral and afterwards they had this big, big reception. And um, so we walk in the backyard and one of her hobbies was she, she was a quilter. I didn't know that was a thing, but it's a thing. So she quilted or whatever, right? And so we start to see like all around the fence and all around all these quilts. And these people had flown in from all around the country and unbeknownst to us, they had all brought these quilts that Barbara had made for them. And, and they began, we began to hear these stories and it was this amazing kind of cacophony of, of laughing and crying and stories and sharing and people gathering and all these stories of, oh yeah, I mean, Barbara took me in and let her live with her for a while while I was getting settled. And man, she taught me how to love and care for people. And here's what stood out. What stood out is all these stories we heard as we were reflecting. None of them were these big, grandiose, you can't believe what Barbara did for me. It was the consistency of moment after moment after moment, day after day of true friendship over years and decades that brought this, this amazing time together. And I think the reason it was such an amazing time, and by the way, this wasn't like when you think like a thing after a funeral, this was like a multiple days. This wasn't like people showed up for like one to two hours and like had some snacks and went home. Multiple days of people celebrating this life. Why am I sharing all of this? Well, I share all this because when it says a brother is born for adversity, that word born literally means come to life. That what it's saying is in your moment of adversity, in your moment of difficulty, what your friends, what your brothers do as they love you, as they come alongside of you and help you rise up, that they help you come to life in your difficult time. Let me share some really, really practical things from Proverbs 17. Just really practical. How do we love at all times? How do we bear one another's burdens, come alongside people in their time of adversity. Here's a few, because as I interact with people, I have an opportunity to really get to be with people and some of like the high, high moments of their life, right? The wedding and, and the baby being born. And then there's other times when I'm with people in the lowest of lows in their life and sitting by the hospital bed or having to help bury one of their children. Here's a few really practical things I've learned if we wanna love one another in this way as friends. First one is this, stop asking the question, what do you need? It's not a, it's not a bad question and it's, it's done in a, in, in, with a good heart. But what happens is we go along and we're like, hey, do you need anything? Uh, hey, can I get you anything? Can I be there for you? Do I need... Isn't it true in our times of adversity and difficulty, we don't even know what we need. And so again, I said it was practical. This is the time that, man, just go leave the food on the front step. Uh, just, just write the card. Uh, just show up. If you really want to love somebody, go and care for their kids in their time of difficulty. Care for their spouse. Do this. Go over to your neighbor's house. Just mow their lawn without asking. Uh, go, go buy them a gift card and say, hey, we just thought we want to get you dinner tonight. Do you know that I've never once had a person like text me back and be like, hey, that was so nice. Um, but we don't really like Chipotle. We're just like wondering if there's a different card you could, like nobody's ever sent me that text before. Say, hey, thanks for showing up. Thanks for being here with us. And that's the second thing is practice the, what I call the ministry of presence. 
The ministry of presence is exactly what it sounds like. It's just being present. Time and time again, and maybe you've felt this way, especially when somebody's going through a difficult time, and you're like, how do I come alongside this friend? What we think is we're like, I don't know what to say. I, don't, I feel like I need to, I don't know, I have the right words. I, I don't have the right Bible verse to share with them. I feel like I got to have something to, to, deli- you know, to deliver to them that will may- maybe help bring them comfort. And the ministry of presence is simply saying, show up, sit, give them a hug, be okay with silence and just be present with those in need, in adversity. Uh, that's what true friends do. And then the third one I really want to encourage you with is show up again down the road. Isn't it true when we're going through adversity, what happens is a lot of times, a lot of acquaintances kind of come out of the woodworks, which is great. That's, that's a wonderful thing. People come alongside of you. But what happens? Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks go by and the meal stops showing up and the person isn't necessarily, you know, getting the, the texts and the cards anymore. And what if we were a people, just real practical, talking about true biblical friendship, where the type of people that in three months, six months, 12 months, two years, hey, just wanna, I just wanted to check in. I, know, I knew today was the anniversary of one of your loved ones. I just want to see how you're doing. And hey, do you want to grab a coffee? Show up down the road. Here's what C.S. Lewis has to say about friendship. Friendship, it's interesting, is unnecessary. What's he mean? Well, it's like philosophy. It's like art. It has no survival value on its own. Rather, it's one of those things that give value to survival. The true friendship is one of those things that give value to our life. So what are we to do? It's marked by consistency, showing up and loving at all times, being with a person in their time of adversity. Here's another marker of true friendship. True friendship is marked by protection from isolation. What do you mean by that? Well, isolation is literally the antithesis of relationship, that we would begin to live a life that's a little bit more reserved and not in relationship and not in community with other people. All the research, by the way, is showing that it's an epidemic right now in our country, this thing of loneliness, isolation not having people and community in our life. This is why we gather together in rooms like this so that we can be with one another and have community with one another. Oh, we're so glad if you're joining us online that you can join us in this way, but we want you to have real interaction and real human community and relationship as well. So here's the verse. Next chapter over, Proverbs 18, verse one, it says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. That seeking my own desires here, the person that seeks their own desires, it's simply just saying that we invent our own way of wisdom over godly wisdom. Simply put, to say he seeks his own wisdom, we could just interpret that as, I just seek my own wisdom. That's a pretty popular way of living in our day and age that I'm going to have my way of thinking and my way of doing and my way of coming up with how I think I should live my life completely void of truth and oftentimes completely void of relationships that want to invest in us and care for us. So what do we do? When we're isolated, we begin to draw our own conclusions instead of having biblical wisdom. 
We even, isolation doesn't necessarily mean it's just you alone. What we can do is we can put ourselves in echo chambers with people who think like us and talk like us and act like us. And by the way, they, they appease everything that we do and affirm everything we think. And we just live in this isolated little bubble where we're not applying the truth of God's word, sharpening one another, growing with one another. Here's a bonus proverb for today, Proverbs 24. In the Good News Translation, it says, an honest answer is the sign of true friendship. Meaning the person that is willing to actually speak the truth in love to you and give you an honest answer and not just give you the words that you want to hear, that's a true friend. Henry Ward Beecher was this 19th century preacher and pastor, and he was famously an abolitionist who was uh, strongly fighting against slavery in the Civil War. Interestingly enough, his sister wrote the, the famous book, Uncle Tom's Cabin. It was the number two bestseller after the Bible in the 19th century. Famous anti-slavery novel. Here's what Henry Beecher has to say about friendship. Here's what he says. It's one of the severest tests of friendship to tell your friends his faults. So to love a person that you cannot bear to see them stain upon them and to speak painful truth through loving words, that is friendship. That I can't bear to see, I love you so much that I want to speak the truth in love because I want you to grow and I want you to thrive. And that's true friendship. It's being a mirror in your life. What did you do this morning? I hope you did what I did this morning. I got up and got ready and I looked in the mirror. Why? Well, because I didn't want, you know, half my face shaven and my hair sticking up, right? But, but that's kind of what happens when we are in isolation. That the true friendships, the true godly relationships in our life, they become a mirror for us to see who we really are. In many ways, we are terrible judges at analyzing our own self that we need other people and we need God's word to speak truth into our lives. In our leadership, uh, Lead 101, and in our hope groups, we have a picture that's really helpful about how we can grow in depth of relationship. It looks like this, it's, a, it's an iceberg, it's a pretty easy picture to get. Iceberg, right, little small part out of the water, huge big part underneath. And what happens in friendship is, if we're honest, we spend a significant amount of our time in superficial conversation and friendship. And don't get me wrong, they're not bad things. Hey man, the Cubs won. Hey, you know, let's, let's go golfing, let's do this. And hey, have you tried that new restaurant? And man, I like that. All, those are good things, it's not bad. But, but if that's all we have in our friendships, is superficial conversation, we're missing majority of what God has for us. Because once we move below the waterline into the soul of what's happening, we can begin to have authentic friendships. Authentic friendships are the ones that, man, people, they know who we are and they have a sense of how we're wired and what makes us excited and what makes us sad. And they get a sense of authenticity, who we really are. But here's what I want to challenge us in today is would we be a church as we're studying Proverbs and seeking more wisdom that, that we pursue transparent and vulnerable relationships? 
Transparent relationships are simply ones that, that when somebody approaches you, you're, you're willing to tell the truth. Hey, man, how you doing? Um, you know what? I'm kind of struggling with some stuff right now. Thanks for asking. But a vulnerable relationship is one that at will can go and hopefully it's back and forth and, and it's both people and it's a two-way street. Say, hey, hey can I just give you a call? I got to talk, man. I'm just, I got some things that, that, that I got, I'm wrestling through. And it's a vulnerability. Hey, I got some patterns of sin in my life that I just can't break free of. And I got some things that I want to give victory over. And can you walk with me in this? And can you be a friend with me? And that's vulnerability. If I can just have a call to action for us, the call to action would be, I think we just need to get back to old school friendship. Just old school, man. Like, let's just go for a walk. Let's just go get a cup of coffee and hang out. And now I know all the dudes are like, oh, so you're calling me to uh, call another man and go on a transparent and vulnerable walk with him. Is this what you're asking me to do? No, but listen, hey, go golfing. But don't make the golfing all about superficial conversation. Begin to open up, begin to share, begin to ask questions, begin to refine, begin to share scripture. As we look at this, Sarah and I were reflecting, we have three different relationships and different parts of our life that just happen to be right now in the season of life going through a lot of adversity. And one's going through a pretty difficult divorce and one is in a complicated work situation that could affect their family greatly. And one is struggling with some substance abuse. And as we were talking with them and just discussing it, 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 it struck, stuck out to us that isolation was the common theme in all three of those relationships that as we know them pretty well, they were lacking transparent and vulnerable relationships. So what's the result? Well, let's go back to the text. Look at what it says. It breaks out against sound judgment so that when we isolate ourselves, uh, we, we stop making the right call. We say some things and it comes out of our mouth that we wish we could take back. We do some things that we regret later. We develop some patterns and behaviors that become unhealthy to us. And then we wonder one day, how did I get here? And we wake up and we go, how did I get to this place in my life? You know, as we slow down, I mean, I, I think sometimes, you know, even maybe when I got up here to start this message, you're, you're like, friendship, really? So when I came to church today, we're going to talk about making friends. <laughs> but here's the thing about true, genuine friendship. It radically impacts our development and our discipleship. It radically impacts what the future of our life will look like. It's kind of like the old adage that says, show me your closest five friends and I'll show you where you're going to be in five years. Because the people we surround ourselves with are the people that as we're shaping one another, as we're spending time with one another, we actually start to look a little bit like one another. And hopefully we're doing that in a way that looks a lot like Jesus. Hey, Steve, where's that in the Bible? Well, thanks for asking. Proverbs 13. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You see, there's a direct correlation to what the future of your life looks like and who you spend your time with today. It's true friendship. It's protection from isolation. Biblical friendship is community. It's accountability. It's wise counsel. It's vulnerability. You know, it's interesting as we talk about this isolation, Harvard came out with a uh, study 
that was looking at the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic and loneliness and isolation, specifically in America. And the results were, were staggering. I don't think they'll surprise you because I think many have experienced this over the last few years, that 31% of Americans said that they frequently or all the time feel lonely. Get that, one third of Americans, one third of this room, hopefully not in this room because hopefully you have great biblical community and friendship. But one third of the people that we interact with in our life are saying that frequently or all the time I feel lonely. The next stat was even more staggering that of young adults, 18 to 25, that took the survey, two thirds said that they regularly feel isolated and lonely in their life. That two thirds of all young adults in America If I can just slow down for a minute, if you're a college student, if you're a high schooler, if you're a young professional, can I just tell you today that that, the, the number of followers you have on social media, the number of likes you get, no matter how big your digital platform, no matter how big your influence you think is, it has zero correlation with actual real relationship, zero. And sometimes we get tricked. And it's interesting because we're literally living in a day and age where we are more interconnected than we have ever been in the history of the world. That we can connect literally with anyone, anywhere, just about anywhere on the planet at any time. And yet we're likely more isolated, lonely, and lacking even the skill to have deep, meaningful relationships. And it's just interesting that Proverbs is littered with wisdom about how we apply these to our lives and how it changes and influences the core of who we are. Here's another marker for us. True friendship is marked by patience in the face of offense. Now we're getting somewhere. Isn't it true right now? It's like, it doesn't matter what you say, somebody's offended by it. Like, I mean, we're offended by everything right now. We've lost the art, I believe, we've lost the art to disagree within a loving friendship. That we can have two different viewpoints on something and still love and respect one another. Flip over one more chapter to chapter 19, Proverbs 19.11. Look what it says. Good sense makes one slow to anger, And it's his glory to overlook an offense. Before we unpack this really quick, let me just sensitively slow down to say this. As we talk about, man, it's your glory. Overlook their offenses and forgive and put behind. And this isn't saying, to be clear, that overlooking an offense is to say there aren't sometimes relationships where you need a boundary or there's abuse taking place or there's a toxic relationship taking place. And maybe some of you in this room or joining us online right now is you're experiencing an emotionally or even a physically abusive relationship or friendship. Let's not get the Bible twisted. The Bible's not saying, hey, just just overlook the offense. There's times to say that relationship is not a healthy relationship for me to be in in this time or, or maybe forever. But that's the beauty of a church family is that we do it in community. If that's you today, if I can just say this, we're so glad you're a part of this church. Would you reach out? That this is a community and a place where maybe you've been seriously offended. 
in a legitimate way. We're a church that we want to walk with you and we want to be in true community with you. And we want to walk through this moment of time with you. So what is it saying if it's not saying that? Well, 53 times we see in the Bible, over 53 times, there's verses that say, do do not grow in your anger. That addresses anger and it says, be slow to it and show grace and show patience. Let me show you a few. As we're talking about when offenses happen within relationship, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We talked about this last week. Hey, let's be slow to speak. The words that come out of our mouth are so important. How about Ecclesiastes 7? Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. You know, over half of these scriptures that talk about anger are actually found in Proverbs. Anger and offense and what do we do with offense? Proverbs 29 is one of them. Look at this. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. I've known a few people in my life that like to give a full vent, right? The the fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quickly holds it back. See, wise friendship, when offense happens to you or you offend others, we become so quick to forgive in a wise friendship within a loving conversation. But here's what I think it's going to require. It's going to require patience in the face of offense. It's going to require us to become masters in forgiveness. Yeah, but if you know what they said to me, and if you know how much that hurt, and if you know how much they offended me, and can I just say with love, do you know how much you offended God with your sin in your life? Do you know how much I have offended God with the sin in my life? And what did he do? Love. He forgave. He sent Jesus to earth to say, I love you so much. I want relationship with you. What if we began to approach our true biblical friendships like Jesus approached us, but it's going to require extending grace in a radical, radical way. Another way to say it is that True friendship is marked with missed opportunities to be offended. We have plenty of opportunities to be offended. But for us to pass on some opportunities, to give the benefit of the doubt. Tim Keller has an interesting approach to this when he's talking about anger and and offense and, and, and forgiveness. What he talks about is it can actually become an idol. That actually what happens is this person, and I know nobody in this room has done this, but... Oh man, I can't believe, around that dinner table, the next thing that she's going to say, and I can't, I, I can't even believe what's going to come out of her mouth. And she always says this, and he always does this. And it becomes this little thing with a, a broken relationship. And we don't extend forgiveness. Here's what he means by an idol. Your anger is actually the way the idol keeps you in its service. It's in its chains. We're kind of trapped by our own lack of forgiveness to the other person. Therefore, if you find that, Despite all the efforts to forgive, your anger and bitterness cannot subside. You may need to look deeper. Why is this anger still in here? Why am I still harboring this bitterness? By the way, that's your anger and that's your bitterness, not theirs. And so we're in charge of it. You may need to look deeper and ask, what am I defending? What is so important that I cannot live without? 
It may be that until some inordinate desire is identified and confronted, you will not be able to master your anger. It has so much to do with what we do with when we're offended. Would we be a people that, man, man, we extend forgiveness, we extend grace. Here's the final marker. A true friendship is marked by growing through sharpening. Now, Proverbs 27, 17, it's one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. Maybe you've heard it before. Just as iron sharpens iron, let one man sharpen another, right? Now, I always, this verse always perplexes me a little bit because it always shows up with like, it's like on a cute little Pinterest page, you know, it's like a cute little Instagram graphic, iron sharpens iron, or it's like always the men's conference, you know, thing, you know. It's good, but here's the thing, with iron sharpening iron, It's a clashing process. It looks like this. Like sparks are flying. If we want real relationship, there's going to be loving, hear me, loving friction and having to hear some hard things and having to extend some forgiveness. And man, I share that Bible verse with you, friend, because I think that, I think it might help sharpen you and it's just as iron sharpens iron, you see how it's both ways. But, but, but it, it, it's a clashing, grinding, screeching noise at times, hard working, doesn't happen on its own. The sharpening doesn't happen on its own. The sharpening happens in proximity of relationship with the friends around you. We shared this before at High Point, but I want to share with you five types of friends if we really want to become sharp, spiritually sharp in our relationships. But I want to share with it it to you in a slightly different way this morning. Is I want to kind of do this. I kind of want to do a, a true relationship or true friendship spiritual assessment. We'll call it that. And so if you're a note taker, I want you to grab your notes right now. And some of you are, you know, like me and you put them on your phone, grab whatever app you put notes in. And as I share this, I want to have you write them down because as we close our service, we're going to carve out time where I want us to not just talk about friendship. I want us to really reflect on what do our relationships look like. And so as I share these five types of friends, in a moment as the worship team begins to sing, I actually want you to begin to write down the real names of friends in your life that fit in these categories. Here's what they are. The first one's a trustee. A trustee is like saying this. Do do you have a board of directors for your life? We have an elder board for our church. Why? What do they do? They provide wise counsel and they provide direction and they provide input to the spiritual vitality of our church. And so... I'm kind of asking with the trustees, do you have a board of directors? The board of directors of your life are the people that you go to when you got to make a big decision and I don't know what to do here. And man, man, I got a a crisis in my marriage or I don't know if I should change jobs or move. The board of the director is going to bring wise counsel. It's a trustee. But then the next one's a teacher. The teacher in your life is the person that, man, they're just a little further down the road than you are on some things. They have some more experience. They have some more knowledge. And that's the person that you want to go to as you're, as you're growing. You say, hey, w- would you show me this? Would you teach me this? Would you come alongside me in this? Do you have teachers in your life? The third one is Timothy's. 
Are you saying we should all have a friend named Timothy? No. What I'm saying is one of the core values of our church is mature to multiply. And this is the core verse. Second Timothy 2.2, what happened was Paul invested in Timothy. Timothy invested into others who he said, go to invest in others also that will do likewise. Who are the people you're investing in? Those are your Timothys. Who are the people you're mentoring? Who are the people that you're coming alongside and you're pouring into them? Two more, a truth teller. We talked about this earlier, but that's the mirror in your life. That's the person that loves you enough to say, hey, you got like a little bit of salad hanging in your tooth at the table and you kind of look like a dork. But far more spiritually significant than that. Hey, friend, um, I think there's some things in your soul that I'm starting to notice that you might want to wrestle with the Lord. This is a hard truth for me to tell you, but I love you enough that I I want to speak some truth into your life. If maybe you're like, I don't know if I have a truth teller. Can I just tell you that maybe the greatest thing that you could do is just go invite somebody to be the truth teller. It makes it a lot easier. I have two men in my life that I've sat down with and I said, I want to not only give you permission, I am asking you and I will be upset with you when you begin to see some patterns or behaviors in my life that are not consistent with God's word that you need to come and tell me the truth. So just go ask. Would you be that kind of friend for me? And here's the last one. We all need it. It's tank fillers. We just need some joy in our life, right? And some fulfillment and some people we just love being around. It just fills our tank up when we get to spend time with them. So here's what we're going to do now. I want you to take these five and literally begin on a piece of paper or on your phone to just put the names down. And yeah, I think John, I, he's a teacher in my life and you know, tank fillers, love hanging out with Emily. She's super fun. And, and maybe you'll find, man, I don't know if I have anybody in one of these categories. Don't be discouraged by that. All I would say is that might be an indicator of an area of community you need to press into to have some more people in your life, to have some more people in your circle, to have more friends that would come alongside of you, that you invite them in to have true, genuine, biblical fellowship and friendship. Take this time, pray, reflect, write down the names, maybe come up with a plan that you want to begin to think about for this week or this month when it comes to your own relationships. The worship team's going to sing over us. And then when you're ready, we'll stand and sing together.